Church, Merry Christmas. My name is Seth. I'm the student ministry pastor here around these parts. And it's a, it's a joy. It's a real privilege for me to be able to preach to you on Christmas Eve this morning. In fact, we were calendaring out the, the preaching calendar with our pastoral team. And we were like, hey, who's going to preach here and there during the Advent season? And Aaron was like, Seth, when do you want to preach? I said, uh, well, Christmas Eve was open. I said, oh, it would be such a joy to preach on Christmas Eve. I love that. Bonus is uh, it's one service. So it's really nice to just have to preach once. So that's a gift. Uh, we're in this Prayers of Advent series, uh, focusing on some praises and some prophetic words uh, and some exclamations given when Christ was about to be born and when Christ was born. And we're going to dive into the scripture in just a second. But being Christmas Eve, being a good morning and full of Merry Christmas, uh, I thought I'd ask you a couple of questions. Uh, if you are the type of person during the service to take notes, um, you might want to grab your pen now because the data I'm about to share with you, you might want to keep and present later at a gathering uh, that you're going to share with some friends or family. It could be useful and might set you apart at the dinner table. My first question for you is, what kind of motorbike does Santa ride? A Holly Davidson. I know. I know. What do you get if you cross Santa with a duck? A Christmas quacker. No? Okay. Not using that one. What's a snowman's favorite Mexican food? Burritos. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. A couple more here. What is a Christmas tree's favorite candy? Ornaments. Ornaments. Oh, yeah, we got some ooze that time. That's a win. How much did Santa pay for his sleigh? It was on the house. Very good. You've done your research. Good job. Good job. Uh, what do the elves cook with in the kitchen? Utensils. Oh, yeah. Okay, one more. What is the most popular Christmas carol in the desert? Oh, camel ye faithful. Oh, camel ye faithful. No? Okay. It's a tough one to end on, but... Merry Christmas all the same. With that said, let's just turn in the word. That's the most important thing today. Let's turn in the word to Luke 2, 25 through 38. We're going to look at the prayer of Simeon today. Uh, Dave Ulmer teed us up with the, the story of Simeon and Anna a little bit this morning. Uh, and we're going to draw our attention there uh, for the duration of our, our time together here this morning. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. The word of the Lord says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, which was required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, 
you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Can you imagine being a temple dweller at this time, maybe a kingdom leader of sorts, and you're going about your business as usual, doing some fasting and praying, making sacrifices here and there for the people, praying with people, mingling with people, and hearing their needs and helping meet their needs? What kind of fire would this light in your belly? How high would you raise the roof in your spirit if one day you're just doing your duties to encountering the Holy Spirit of God with a promise like this. There had to have been a fresh earnestness in Simeon's prayer life, a divine awakening to his purpose and a new pleasure in the work that was set before him because of a promise like this from an encounter from the Holy Spirit. Simeon, before you die, you will see the Messiah. You will see the consolation of Israel. You will see the prince of peace who is going to bring about a peace like the world has not known. Since God was with man until God is with man again, now the time has come. Emmanuel, God with us. It's going to take place and you're going to see it, Simeon. Not only does he see the Christ, he sees, he embraces, he praises I wonder though, I, I really do wonder, did he laugh? I mean, have you ever had such a, a rich peace of, of Christ, a, a presence of Christ in your life that just laughter is what's caused, dancing is what's caused, rejoicing? I wonder if he wept. I mean, can you imagine waiting on the consolation of Israel and here it is in the form of a babe? I wonder if he trembled. I don't know, but we know that he prayed. We know that he sang. And these words that he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. This is referred to as, in Latin, nunc dimittis. Can you say nunc dimittis? Okay, Latin class, good job, good job. It means now you dismiss. This is often used in, in various circles for benedictions or, or evening prayers. And it makes me think of, you know, what you see on a, a tombstone. We have a picture of a tombstone, Ebenezer Scrooge tombstone. It says R.I.P. You know what R.I.P. means? Rest in peace. That's right. And so Simeon is like expressing now, after having an encounter with the Messiah, this ability like, oh, my life is complete. The promise is fulfilled. I have seen Jesus. I've had a personal encounter with Messiah. I can rest in peace now. 
I mean, if you've ever had an encounter in Jesus and you know that like overwhelming sense of peace that goes beyond understanding, there is, this is what he's expressing. I can die happy, I can rest in peace. My mind, when I was thinking about these connections here, went directly to, to Silent Night, the, the words that say, sleep in heavenly peace, right? I know we often sing that song, thinking perhaps that somehow we're helping lull baby Jesus to sleep in the manger. Uh, but what if we're actually meant to sing that over ourselves and over each other? That there is a peace of Christ that comes from being in his presence. And there is a restfulness that comes from being in the presence and peace of Christ. What if we're actually singing that over ourselves and each other to sleep in heavenly peace, to rest in heavenly peace? to experience a personal encounter with the Christ. But this is what it is for Simeon. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, sovereign Lord. Speaking of, of sleeping in peace, heavenly peace and, and silent nights, um, maybe this is some sort of personal connection that is a blessing to you. We have baby Felicity who's over here crawling around. She might try and run around the sanctuary during this time. No bother, don't mind. Um, but she is 19 months uh, here in a couple days. She'll be 19 months old. A beautiful gift to our family. Uh, and if you've ever had a baby in the house, we've had several babies growing up in our house, so we're very familiar with this. Babies get teeth, and when the teeth begin to push through the gums and you can like see it's like just under the gums, the white caps are like right there. It's painful, right? Like imagine just the teeth, if you were an adult and your teeth started coming out through your gums, oh, it'd be like terrible for you, I know. But the babies, when the teeth is coming through the gum, it's painful, and then it causes sleeplessness. That's not the only thing that does. Growing pains cause sleeplessness. Colds cause sleeplessness. And our children were in school this year, so there were many colds in our house, and there was much sleeplessness. This affects Eloise in particular, who she shares a room with baby Felicity. And so when Eloise is impacted, we're all impacted. We're the parents, and so we're sleepless. And so everybody in our house is impacted because of our lack of sleeping in heavenly peace. It's true, it's just the phase that we're in. And we know that there's a greater consolation for the Rausch house uh, when the tooth breaks through. So in the meantime, we have soothing methods like singing, rocking, warm milk, or just embracing the waking and moving to the living room to start the day, using frozen teethers sometimes. And that's just what I do to help Alyssa. Um, thank you, thank you. Uh, no, I, I love the season that we're in. It's good, but admittedly, we've had many sleepless nights, and that's just part of raising kids. If you know what having a baby in the house is like at all, then, then you can relate to that. Um, and that's nothing compared to the, the hunger and the, the waiting and the peacelessness and the restlessness that the, the people of Israel were so eager, they were so long, longing for the Messiah to come. But just this, oh, my eyes have seen your salvation. I can rest and peace now. Anna's response is pretty interesting here in particular. Um, I, I think her life would have been really hard in many ways, really challenging to be a widow if she had no one else, just fully relying on God in the temple, childless, husbandless, really by culture considered an outsider in this day and age. She committed herself fully to the Lord. Um, she would have faced many challenges, but there she stayed fasting, praying, seeking the Lord. And when she first encounters Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption 
of Israel. So Simeon and Anna, they exercised faithful anticipation regarding God's promised Messiah. They did not hesitate to give praise to God for his work that was going to be done and their seeing being done in real time. And they spoke and responded powerfully with authority of faith and age. So we have these characters that we're going to unpack here a little bit, the, the prayer of Simeon specifically. A few other key characters you're familiar with, I'm sure, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They've come to the temple to do their good Jewish practices here. They waited until the time was right. Just right before this in chapter two, we see that they waited until the time of purification was completed. This was about 40 days after the birth of a son where they would bring the the child to the temple to present him to the Lord uh, or to his representative, a priest, according to God's law. And what they were doing, they would pay what was called a redemption money. They would come to the temple and pay redemption money to essentially buy back this child into himself because the child was considered holy unto the Lord. And there's a really cool connection here that I want to share with you. They would have come with a a redemption money to pay as a sacrifice, uh, either a lamb or two turtle doves, or a couple of pigeons, and a partridge and a pear tree. I'm kidding, no, no partridges and pear trees. But there's a strong connection here. The reason that they would do this, they were bringing the child, to the firstborn to the temple, was because of the connection with the Passover. So they were doing something that was obedient by ritual and tradition to the law of God, that if you remember, when the people of Israel were freed, the final plague was the angel of death that swooped over the, the whole land of Egypt, And the identification that you were a child of God, identifying as God's people, was the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, right? So when the angel of the Lord came across the land of Egypt, the firstborn child of every household was to be smitten. So there was a great cry in Egypt like never before, but God's people were rescued because of the blood that was over the doorpost. You're probably familiar with this story in Moses and helping free the Israelites out of slavery, right? Well, this is the connection. They were coming to the temple to pay redemption money because their child was considered holy. They were buying back their child because God had rescued the firstborn. Does that make sense? I thought that was really interesting when I was studying that this time. That thought had never occurred to me uh, and, and it was really interesting. So I thought I'd share that with you. They're paying a price for the one who has come to pay the ultimate price. Their obedience to God is bringing about the ultimate obedience to God through the Messiah. There's an interesting arc here through the rest of the the scripture, through the rest of these stories that I'm gonna share, and you might catch this. There's this arc of old to new. There's the arc of of old people holding the young baby and praising God, arc of the old covenant coming into the new covenant. And here, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they are fulfilling the Old Testament law and beginning to birth what we're going to see as the New Testament. So our first note, our first point of today is revelation. My eyes are open. Can you say revelation? A revelation of salvation is had here. The Holy Spirit is speaking and the message of Messiah is right in front of Simeon. Verse 26 says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, there's three other times in Luke that the Holy Spirit is clear to have moved, and it is written, number one is that Mary, it's promised to her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. The power of the Most High will overshadow her, answering her question regarding pregnancy. How could it happen? She was a virgin. God will make it so by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second time we see the Holy Spirit mentioned here is through Zechariah's prayer. He was filled with the Holy Spirit as he praised and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, raised up a horn of salvation for us. 
The third time is Elizabeth. She is filled with the Holy Spirit to give praise and blessing while having her own baby leap within her womb as she greets Mary. This child, as John says, in him was life, and that light, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This is our Messiah. This is who we see here being prophesied, being praised by Simeon, a word from the Holy Spirit that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And Simeon is seeing this light, this life for himself right in front of him now. And so Simeon, number four, the fourth one here, encounter of the Holy Spirit in Luke thus far, Simeon too, the Holy Spirit was upon him doing a work. And part of that work was building expectancy of the Messiah. Another is to prophesy his arrival. And this is important for us to note today. This is one of the first times that the prophecy of the the shadow of the good news, the shadow of the cross and the the fulfillment of the good news over Jesus' life is given. Not explicitly, but listen to what it says. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And to Mary, he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. What was Jesus going to do? He was going to fall and rise for the finished work of God's kingdom to come and for the good of all who would believe on his name. What happens to all who trust in his name? They go from fallen status to risen status by the power of the Holy Spirit. What was the reality then of trusting in him as Lord and Savior, following him with everything that you had? It was probably most of the time falling and death through severe persecution and rising in glory. There would be a great falling and rising of many. One commentary writer states, for nearly three centuries and with varying intensity, the name of Jesus of Nazareth and his followers was a name of shame, hateful and despised. Not only among the Roman idolaters was the the name spoken against with intense bitterness, but also among his own nation, the Jews, The name Jesus was known as the deceiver, the man, the hung one. These were common expressions used in Jewish training schools, which flourished in the early days of Christianity. So revelation, my eyes are open to salvation. Our next point is this, preparation, my heart is ready. Can you say preparation? Yes. Not preparation H, though you might need that after all of your Christmas feasts. Sorry. This is about heart preparation, Art. Heart preparation. Forgive me. That was a youth pastor. I'm sorry. It's Christmas Eve service. Verse 30 and 31 of chapter 2. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. The arc of scripture here reaches from old days to days anew. And I'm gonna unpack just a little bit of this, what this looks like for you. From the time of Abraham, God had already started his preparation work. Abraham was called upon to be part of setting God's people apart. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, earth will be blessed through you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. These people are beginning to be separated apart from the nations unto God. There's a preparation at hand here. And through Moses, Moses was called upon to be a part of setting God's people apart as well, part of God's preparation for the coming Messiah. Now, if you obey me fully, God is revealing this word to Moses and to the Israelites. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Do you hear that set apartness? Treasured possession. Although the words, oh, sorry, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You are a people holy to the Lord, your God, set apart. The Lord, your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Do you hear this preparation, this set apartness of his people unto himself out of all nations? And then a period of dispersion came in history from, from Abraham to Moses and then a great dispersion in biblical history occurs and there was this period of time where the people of Israel, the nation of God, was spread out from east to west. They were rubbing shoulders with, with people and practices from different parts of the globe and in the east they were rubbing shoulders and in the west they were mingling and their period of this dispersion out to a polytheistic world, Israel gave this message they gave the greatest theological statement in the Old Testament into this world. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, as we read in Deuteronomy 6.4. Then there was a time, well, that was, that was actually a little bit of like preparation and unleashing being had there. And we see the impact of that and the failures of that as well through the people of Israel. We're not gonna elaborate on that too much right now. But then there's the period of the prophets. Each prophet, as he spoke to the local situation, did not stop there, but looked down through the ages and prophesied of events far in the future. When survival, when survival was darkest, the prophets saw it the brightest because God revealed to them the coming of the Messiah. They all pointed to his coming so that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, the nation of Israel was prepared for the coming of the Messiah. From their scriptures, they knew where he was to be born and they should have known when as well. They believed the Old Testament scriptures that he was coming, but they did not believe that he actually arrived. God had prepared them for the coming Messiah. Isaiah 43.1, the word of the Lord says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. God has been doing this work of preparation and setting apart his people throughout the ages. So there's this preparation. My heart is ready. Revelation. My eyes are open to the Messiah. After this revelation and preparation, we step into my next point, which is for every nation. For every nation, the world is longing. 
Simeon prays, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Isaiah 49, 6 says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In Luke 4, just a couple of chapters from where we're looking right now, Jesus begins to reveal the kingdom come. He begins to reveal this heart for all nations and the saving work that the Messiah would do. We see him preaching the kingdom come. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is teaching and preaching and casting out demons and healing the sick and the diseased. And he says at the end of chapter four, I can't stay here in this town. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 is written, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. Then there were white robes, that, sorry, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This picture of heaven and the gospel's impact on all, all nations, Jesus' impact on all nations reveals for us God's heart for the people of Israel, but for all people outside of the people of Israel as well, for the Jew and also for the Gentile. This gospel is for all people, a good news for Gentiles and a glorious fulfillment for the Jews. And it's not an ancient story of long forgotten people and times long ago, but it is good news for us today as well. Every one of us must hear, listen, process this good news of Jesus and come to a conclusion. You have heard today that Jesus is the Messiah he has come because the reality is all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God came to earth to redeem those who would call upon his name in faith. Jesus came to redeem the haters. Jesus came to redeem the hurtful. Jesus came to redeem the dark and shattered humanity that we find ourselves in. Jesus came to redeem the murderers and kidnappers that we see in the Hamas conflict. Just as much as Jesus came to redeem the middle schoolers stealing cards of, decks of cards from the local Walmart in town. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to redeem the dad who drinks too much and ignores his wife just as much as he came to redeem the wife who emotionally has attached herself to too many other men. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We all have sin that separates us from God. And that is why Jesus came. He came to be a fulfillment and a glory for his people Israel, and he came to rescue the Gentiles, those who were far from God as well. So revelation, my eyes are open to the Messiah. Preparation, my heart is ready for the Messiah. For every nation, the world is longing 
dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. As we sit in sin and error pining, the Messiah has come to rescue us. Can I get an amen? So finally, it demands application. Can you say application? This child, thank you, good job guys. This, applic this application, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So I wonder this morning, what thoughts are being revealed in your own heart about the Messiah? Upon hearing, you must ask yourself, what child is this? who lays to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch their keeping. What child is this? Is your response to the Messiah praise, adoration, exclamation? This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Is this the response within your soul today? Isaiah 52, 9 says, Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Or perhaps your attitude this morning and your response to the Messiah is criticism and condemnation. Maybe it's disdain and degradation. Jesus was prophesied to be a stone of stumbling. Paul wrote about this as well, that we preach Christ crucified, a, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Maybe you think this message is ridiculous. Maybe you think that the hope of mankind could not possibly rest in a person named Jesus. I will leave the Holy Spirit to do the work in your heart to bring you comfort and peace that I know that he can. Perhaps your attitude is even indifference or apathy. You just don't care. Like, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm not listening. I'm just tuning out. There's a real blinding factor of indifference in our culture today. Some may say this stems from comforts of affluence that we find our security in. This may be true. Some say it's because there's so much confusion about what is truth, your truth, my truth. All I want for Christmas is my truth front teeth. I know. A great tool of the enemy, the deceiver, is to convince you that you, you don't need to respond because it doesn't matter. This is a lie. This is a, a tool. This is part of his ammunition to steal your attention from salvation. We know the enemy is creeping around like a roaring lion waiting to steal and kill and destroy. So be sure, friends, indifference is one of his tactics. It is a response to the Messiah. So have you not heard that Jesus is the savior of the world? Jesus is salvation. What is your response to that? Have you experienced the love of God through Jesus the Messiah? 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John 15.13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for one's friends. This is the good news. It demands an application. What is your response to the Messiah? The world is hungry for this. It is longing. He is for every nation. 
Our hearts have been ready, made by preparation of the Lord from long ago. And our eyes are open to the revelation of it today. So how will you respond? Here's my prayer for you. Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Will you embrace this love today for all the days of your life, for eternity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, a, a joyous message, but it is also a serious message that you have come, that you have saved, that you have done a work. I pray that our response this morning would be praise and adoration and exclamation. I pray that there, if there are places where the, the enemy has hardened our hearts to be critical or, or condemning or degrading to the name of Christ, would you forgive us of that? Would you bring mercy and grace and forgiveness into those spaces? God, for where we have been indifferent about our faith in Christ, where we have been apathetic to this good news, would you light a fire in our souls for your kingdom that, that we would come alive because of the work of Christ for us and in us by the power of your Holy Spirit and for the sake of the world around us, that there would be an awakening in us and through us that would bring revival to the good news that the Messiah has come. He has come to seek and save the lost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your good grace. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.